Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today, we're still following the Gospel according to St. Mark, and we'll do chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. It's the story of the healing of the blind man of Bartimaeus at the, at, the, at the Jericho, Jerusalem gate. And it contains within it, of course, some very obvious lessons, but also some things that we might want to carry a little further and reflect upon a little bit more than what actually jumps out at us from the text itself. It begins as Jesus left Jericho with his disciples and a larger crowd Now, Jericho is an interesting place because Old Testament Jericho is gone, New Testament Jericho is gone. There's a modern city or a more contemporary city of Jericho, but they're all basically in the same place. And it happens to be, in in an interesting sort of way, the oldest known inhabited place on earth. There are records of human settlement within, within the confines of the three Jerichos that go back to the year 8000 B.C., so that there is kind of a natural attraction of humanity to Jericho. And the reason seems to be that it is kind of the gateway from the desert into the mountains that therefore lead beyond and ultimately in the time period that we're talking about, lead into Jerusalem. So that it was a very, very busy place, especially at the time of Passover, as the, as the, the, uh, the Hebrews scattered through the deserts around the Jordan River and so forth, began to make their way into the city of Jerusalem for the Passover. The normal place, therefore, for those who are disabled and who have to beg for a living is at the Jerusalem-Jericho gate because that's where the large numbers of crowds pass through on their way to celebrate the Passover and on their way back from the celebration of the Passover. And so the gospel goes on as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, in other words, the crowd is heading out to Jerusalem. Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting at the side of the road. Um, Once again, a natural place for someone to be who needed to beg for a living. For that was the only kind of way that those who were blind and had other serious afflictions um, were able really to get the food, the, the, whatever they need for their sustenance. So there would probably be many beggars at the gates. But this one, um, Mark singles out and actually unusually gives him a name. And what that probably means is that the name would be familiar to the readers of, God, of Mark's gospel. And as a being familiar, it means that because of what is to transpire, Bartimaeus probably becomes a disciple of the Lord and probably is therefore familiar to the community of the disciples. And they know, therefore, who he is. And uh, this is his story, the story of someone who shares with them the community of the faithful. When he heard, when Bartimaeus, that is, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and to say, Son of David, Jesus, have pity on me. And here we have kind of an interesting thing, too. Bartimaeus, somehow or other, being at the crossroads of the traffic from Jerusalem to Jericho, and I think we've seen before, too, that this was a frequently um, um, pathway 
for the high priests from the temple to come into the deserts near Qumran and so forth, for the education of their children, for consultation with the scholars of Qumran and so forth. So there was always kind of a crowd of, uh, of the priestly caste from Jerusalem moving along this road as well. Bartimaeus, sitting at the gate, must have heard stories about this Jesus of Nazareth, must have heard that he was a great wonder worker, but heard more than that because he ventures to call him son of David, which is a messianic title and something that he would not just necessarily to say to anyone who was passing back and forth from Jericho to Jerusalem. So Bartimaeus then has heard the stories of Jesus, and this is his great opportunity because he hears, actually, that it was Jesus of Nazareth who was in this crowd and was moving, therefore, through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And so he begins to shout. He wants to put himself outside of the crowd. He wants to make himself known, make himself heard. And, and he has already, in some way, through hearing the story, somewhat convinced that Jesus is more than just a wonder worker, but that Jesus also has kind of the trappings of the Messiah about him. And so he hollers out, Son of David, Jesus, have pity on me. Now, many of them scolded him and told him to keep quiet, but he shouted only all the louder, Son of David, have pity on me. This is a usual, I mean, this is a normal kind of thing when the stories of uh, those who want Jesus' help distinguish themselves in a crowd through uh, drawing attention to themselves. The disciples or other people in the crowd will just say, hush, hush, you know, leave the man alone. And uh, so this is exactly what's happening to Bartimaeus. But he refuses to be silent, and he simply gets the louder. And he continues to call out to him, now no longer Jesus of Nazareth, but now only son of David, have pity on me. He has moved from identifying the man Jesus associated with the Messiah to simply calling out to the Messiah himself for, for help. Jesus stopped and, and said, call him here. So they called the blind man. Courage, they said, get up, he is calling you. In other words, they knew enough now, once Jesus has spoken, to also back off, because they're familiar enough with the ways of Jesus to know that he is about to do something significant, something important. So throwing off his cloak, Bartimaeus jumped up and went to Jesus. And so he now, this it's kind of an electric moment through all of the racket, through all of the crowd, through all of the yelling and hollering, through the attempts to silence, to the summoning of Jesus, to the enthusiastic jumping of Bartimaeus, and, uh, and going to Jesus, and then Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, and now he calls him by the familiar term teacher. The blind man said to him, Master, let me see again. And so Bartimaeus now, whose soul has already been in some ways illuminated by the word, illuminated by the stories of the Messiah, illuminated by the work and the story of Jesus of Nazareth, now has his opportunity. And he says, now I have seen with my soul, I have seen with my heart, I have seen with my mind, Lord, let me now see with my eyes. And Jesus says to him, go, your faith has saved you. No, Jesus then performs no physical 
no physical healing. He he performs no no physical, um, none of the anointing of the eyes or anything like that. He simply says, your faith has saved you. And immediately the blind man's sight returned and he followed him along the road. And so he becomes, as a result of his healing, he now becomes a disciple of the Lord, which is why, as we saw in the beginning, Mark probably uses his name because he probably stays a disciple and is probably known, therefore, to the early apostolic community as one of the disciples and one of the followers of the Lord. So this is basically the story of the gospel that we're dealing with today in the 10th chapter of Mark. And it's a story that is, has all sorts, of, all sorts of connotations to it. But it's a great time, and I think that we've already you know, looked into the, into the whole story of uh, the meaning of the miracle, that the miracle is not just wonder-working, that the miracle is an indication of many things. The letter to the Hebrews says in, in one way that you know, no, one, no one does these things on their own. They all receive them. And nor did Christ give himself the glory of becoming high priest, Hebrews says. But he had it from the one who sent him, who said to him, you, Today you are my son. I have become your father. And in another text, you are a priest of the order of Melchizedek and forever. So the letter to the Hebrews reminds us that in the actions of Jesus is revealed to us also the presence of the Father. For Jesus is here at the mission of the Father, and Jesus is the one through whom the Father creates and now through whom the Father recreates. I think we've seen that in Mark's gospel, there are many who contend in a way that kind of this is a second creation story, that Jesus the Messiah is now the one who is restoring his own creation through the working of miracles and the healing of the world of sin and destruction. And, you know, we find in the Gospel of St. John, all in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, the, and, and through him all things came to be, and without him nothing came to be. A radical statement. In other words, all creation came through the Word. And John tells us, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is Jesus Christ, who is therefore also <coughs> the one who comes from the Father. So that when, in fact, we find this poor blind man sitting at the, at the Jerusalem Jericho gate, crying out for help when he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is near, and identifying him as son of David. He is identifying him, therefore, also as one sent, and one sent by the living God. So that what, in fact, this blind man draws out of the story of his own healing is, once again, as we've said before, healing miracles as, as moments of pinpoints of light in Revelation. For we see in the Revelation of, of that comes from the miracles the healing presence, the creative presence of the living God. And just as God created everything through the Word, through the Son, so now in Mark's Gospel he is recreating, he is undoing the damage that sin has done to the world, and he is doing it through the active presence of the Word, of the Son. For ourselves, I think, this behoves us to move a little bit more deeply into the mystery of Christ's presence in our own lives. 
that sometimes we get so absorbed in the miracle stories. And I know that those who say, you know, that, that the real contemporary mission of the church is, is signs and wonders, that, that as language has lost its impact, as the imagery of, of faith has kind of faded away from our culture, we have few ways now to communicate the wonder of the presence of the living God. Very few ways to to communicate it. Um, language used to carry with it symbols of faith. Language seldom carries with it symbols of faith anymore. And so they say, well, by signs and wonders, then we will we will begin to con- reconvert the people to Jesus Christ. Well, signs and wonders. Um, and when they are connected to the person of the Messiah, participate in, of course, the miracles of the gospel, who come through Jesus to Jesus through the um, to Jesus from the Father through Jesus to us, and so creating within us then a world <clears throat> that has more light, a world that is more luminous than the world in which we see with the naked eye. For as we look around us in the contemporary world, we see all sorts of destruction. We see all sorts of hopelessness. We see ourselves careening into an, an abyss of darkness and an abyss of, of, of ignorance and an abyss of isolation and an abyss of violence and so forth. What did Jesus see in the world in which he lived? What did we see with the Roman soldiers? What did we see with Pontius Pilate? What in the world did he see with the treatment of the poor, of the, of the lepers, of the blind, and so forth within the, the, the community, within the Hebrew community of Palestine at the time? He also, saw surround, he also saw surrounding him the darkness of the world in which he lived, the looming presence, the, 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 the looming presence of the Roman Empire, which no matter how much we want to look at the cultural achievements and no matter how much we want to, uh, to, to look at kind of the, what, what is it, that, is it Browning that says the grandeur that was Greece and the glory that was Rome, um, read this history of the expansion of the Roman Empire. Read about the slaughters of, of tens of thousands, of hundreds of thousands of people, of the enslavements of whole people and so forth. This is not a pretty world in which the Lord lives. It is not a world given to light and peace and happiness. It is a world of terrible violence, terrible violence. And, and, a word, and a world in which those with few scruples scramble to find a place in it which favors them, which gives them peace, which allows them to rest in the corrupt power structures of their age. And this is the confrontation of Jesus and the Pharisees and Jesus and the Sadducees and Jesus and the high priests and so forth. We cannot say, oh, it's so much worse today than it was then. But in that world, what does Jesus do? Does he say, our task now is to overthrow the Roman Empire and establish now, reestablish the kingdom of David? That's not what Jesus says. That's what many of the people are saying. That's what many of the popular expectations are. And when, in fact, Bartimaeus um, cries out, Son of David, Jesus of Nazareth, this is what he derives his language from. The expectation of the return of the, Masad, the, of the, of the coming of the Messiah as the return of the Davidic kingdom. We've seen John and James even succumb to this powerful vision. 
And we find here that becoming a popular designation of who the Messiah is and who Jesus is. What in the midst of all of that does Jesus do? Does he therefore go to the mountains, gather a force like the Maccabees did, and come down and attack the mighty Roman Empire? No, no. He says, go, your faith has saved you, you may now see. It is in the miracles of everyday life that we experience the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in the miracles of harmony within families. It is in the miracles of deep friendship. It is within the miracles of true married love. It is in the miracles of those actually alleviating the sufferings of others to the best of their ability. It is, it is not carrying our agendas into worlds that do not belong to us and that are on our own. It is not saying, you know, gee, we've reached kind of nirvana in this bourgeois Western life in which half of our people are in some kind of psychotherapy because it's such a wonderful world they can't stand to live in it. Um, is it is it carrying this with a missionary zeal into other parts of the world and other civilizations? No, it is not. It is not that at all. It is bringing to the reality as best we can through the value of our lives, through the power of the goodness that each of us seek from the Lord. We seek it in sacrament. We seek it in word. We seek it in real life. We, we rejoice in the sacrifices of love that life asks of us and makes of us. And we rejoice because that brings into the life of others this small beam of light, this small beam of truth of the presence of the Lord. The very thing that the miracles bring are the very things that the true Christian life brings into other people's lives as well. So that when, in fact, Bartimaeus, the one who is to become the disciple of the Lord, calls out to, to Jesus under the messianic title, he is asking not a world revolution. He is saying, Master, that I may see. And he says again, which means he was not always blind, and so he knows the depth and the seriousness of the deprivation that he has suffered. And he simply says, in your love and in your goodness, give back to me what is mine from the very beginning of time, from the very beginning of creation. For you did not commit a blind world. You committed a world in which people could see the beauty of not only the world in which they live, but in the world of people with whom they lived. And he does it within mind that it is the anointed servant of the Lord in Isaiah, Isaiah 61.1 actually, that one of the marks of the anointed of the Lord, one of the marks of the Messiah is the restoration of sight to the blind. So that we have to see the miracles as tied up in the package of the whole kerygma, of the whole proclamation of Jesus. And we cannot let those miracles simply rest in the first century. We know that the world abounds in miracles, and many of us in different ways and places have seen the small miracles of faith in God bring about deep and huge changes in people's lives. We know that this, this picture, this vignette, of Jesus' life in the New Testament is one that is 
extant in every age, in every time, and in every place, where those who truly believe that Jesus is Lord move among the peoples, among those whom they love, they care for, those whom they look after, those whom they randomly encounter who are in deep trouble and and, and in deep, um, deep deprivation of any kind. It is the recreation, it is the story of the miracles of the Lord that keep up not only from the days of the wonders of Jesus, from the days of the healing in our own age and from the small acts. For the greatest power of creation, and this is something that's very important for us, the greatest power embedded with creation is the power of God's love. Each of us carry that in our hearts. Each of us carry that from baptism. Each of us carry that from Eucharist. Each of us carry that from reconciliation. Each of us carry that in marriage and priesthood and so forth. That this is the impartation of this kind of light that Jesus manifests in the healing of Bartimaeus. It is these particles, particles of revelation, these small pieces of revelation that take and are bedded in our hearts and in our minds. When someone sacrifices themselves for the sake of someone whom they love in order to bring some kind of healing and trust and confidence into the other person's life, into their heart, whenever this happens, this is part of the miracle of sight. This is part of the miracle of light. Whenever husbands and wives sacrifice for each other, that's part of the miracle of light. And whenever husbands and wives suffer and, uh, and sacrifice for the sake of their children, that's part of the miracle of light. We can't look at the miracles in the gospel as these isolated realities. And you know, when they become simply signs and wonders, Jesus flees. And he goes into the mountains because he knew they were going to come and try and make him a king. That's not what this is all about. It's not all about the signs and wonders. It's about the manifestation of the power of God and the love that motivates that power for each and every one of his creations, for each and every one of his people. He offers it to everyone, not all except. Here's what happened to Bartimaeus. He accepted it. Go, your faith has saved you. He believes that Jesus is Lord. He believes that Jesus can heal. He believes that what he asks of the Lord will be granted him. And, and he does so with great confidence and with great enthusiasm. I think that sometimes, too, we say, well, I've I prayed to the Lord, and I've heard this, I've prayed to the Lord all my life for this, and it's never happened. And, and so you, if, you, if you know them well enough, you cautiously venture into the question, what have you asked for? And, and almost always, those things which are totally unfulfilled um, are those things which have nothing to do with the person's total well-being and total orientation toward eternal life. Doesn't mean we can't ask for small material things. Lord, please help me to find a place to live. Please help me to find a job. All of that's all of that is legitimate, and all of that is part of the miraculous kingdom of the Lord, in which we jump up from our own place and say, "Lord, save us." Um, but but we have to we have to understand that what Jesus created us for is eternal life. And that whatever, whenever he promises us, whatever you ask, you will receive and knock and it will be open to you and so forth. He, he, really, he, really, he, he really wants us oriented toward salvation. And he wants us to use the goodness within ourselves 
and whatever power of, of love we have within ourselves to draw other people also toward this eternal life, toward this eternal reward. And so while we get sidetracked all the time, you know, on this, on this whole business of uh, what, what sometimes is called within the evangelical world the gospel of prosperity, or when we get too much into the fact, you know, that the proclamation of the kingdom is really signs and wonders, um, we, we restrict the meaning of signs and wonders. To love another person is a sign and a wonder, and to be loved by another person is a sign and a wonder. And it is this which generates the whole energy of the human family toward goodness. And it is something that is widely possessed and something that is widely shared and widely given. I, I, I think that somehow beyond signs and wonders... I think perhaps the greatest gift and the greatest power that we have is generosity of heart. When we ourselves can willingly suffer for others, when we ourselves can give of ourselves for the sake of another, when we can endure terrible hardships for the sake of the well-being of family or community or friends, all of those things are powerful. All of those things are part of the miraculous world in which we encounter in today's gospel. When Jesus, the son of David, on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem, encounters a man whose heart has already been enlightened by the news that he is the son of David, that he is the Messiah, that immediately then the man also wants that to be a total encounter with Christ and therefore seeks not only the illumination of the heart but the illumination of the eyes. And he seeks it from the one who has created all things well, who has done all things well, who has created light and goodness, who has created all of those things. And he springs up from a world of sinfulness which has restricted his original person, which has restricted and damaged the, thing, the person that came forth from the hands of the Lord. He has done all that, and now he seeks restoration. Now he seeks wholeness, and he seeks it from his source. Let us also, in this very same way, seek restoration, seek wholeness, seek the fullness of life in Christ, that we may have not only an entree into eternal life, but a greater abundance for us to share generously with the people we encounter in our lives, the people we love, the people we know, the people we simply encounter, in order that as a Christian, that we might be therefore in some way, shape, or form part of that small beam of light which opens up the truth of reality to all human beings and assures them a place in the heart of the Lord. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com. Then he sank to